hey, what, what are you teaching on right now? What are, you, what are you preaching through? And he told me that he was just finishing up the book of Isaiah. I was like, wow, all 66 chapters? Really? How long have you been in Isaiah? And then he asked me what I was preaching through, and I said 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I felt kind of small next to his brother when he was talking about the book of Isaiah. But there's so much meat in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And today is our third message for those who are unmarried, those who are single in particular, single for the kingdom part three. And next week, if the Lord allows, we'll begin talking about uh, Christians and divorce. So those things are also covered in chapter seven, along with if you're a Christian, but you're married to an unbeliever or a professing believer who acts like an unbeliever. Uh, we, we, we've got places to go, and then we also want to encourage widows and widowers. So all of that is right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But today, uh, my hope and my heart is to encourage unmarried people, whether you are single by choice, by calling, you are widowed, you are divorced, whatever the case may be, I just want to encourage you through the scriptures. We've been learning that a single for the kingdom a born-again person who's single is someone who is complete in Christ, content with Christ, and called to serve Christ. That's a single for the kingdom. So today, part three in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Lord, for those who are unmarried today, in particular, would you give them ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is going to say today? Might they be encouraged, especially for those who've been discouraged? Would you speak to those, Lord, who just need a little boost today uh, to give them a kingdom perspective of what it means to be a man or a woman who is unmarried in this world? Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that the Apostle Paul um, gives us some wonderful principles to abide by. Help me to teach them well. Help us to hear them well. And help us with your help to live them well. We thank you in advance for the rhema, for the chains that will be broken today because of the rhema word, for minds that will be transformed today, perspectives, trajectories will be set in a new course today because of the word. So, Lord, send forth your word and heal us. Jesus, give us the truth that we might be set free. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Last week, we had a number of visitors who came to the church. And one person in particular stood behind to speak to me. And this was an older lady. And as she spoke with me, she said, and I've heard this many, many times from people, that this church that Strong Tower has been in for six years now, which was once uh, a church of Christ, um, Outer Creek Church of Christ, that so many people in this community have come through this church, have gone to children's ministry, down the halls, have been baptized in this church when a baptistry used to be behind me. And she was one of those people, that this was her home church growing up as a little girl. And she began to tell me that her husband was not here today, that he was out of the country. 
And she said, I just want to thank you for the message that you preached today on singleness. Because growing up, I didn't hear messages like the one I heard today letting me know that there's value in me not having a husband. That there's value in me being a single. She said, I wish I would have heard that coming up. She says, now, I was blessed to get married at the age of 39. But I sure wish I would have heard more messages to let me know that it was okay to be a single woman who loves Jesus, that I didn't have to have a husband to find purpose in life. And so I thanked her for that message, for, for that word of encouragement that she gave me, but it made me think a little bit. Because if we're gonna keep it 100, and that's really the only way we can keep it at Strong Tower, I know that there is at least one single person under the sound of my voice who does not have the attitude or the mentality that that lady had. Uh, where she was wishing that she had more information about what it means to be single and satisfied. But I would imagine that there is at least one or two singles here who are not satisfied being single. As a matter of fact, you had hopes that you would be married by now. But it just hasn't happened. In fact, you're beginning to wonder if it will ever happen. Proverbs 13, 12 Let's you know that you're not by yourself. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. So there are people who have hopes of getting married one day. And when it keeps getting deferred, keeps getting delayed, it breaks their heart and their heart gets sick. And so I want to let you know I feel with you. I feel for you, I sympathize, I empathize with you in your pain and in your desire to get married. Uh, I love how the second part of the verse says, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. And as we sang today about waiting on the Lord, whatever we're waiting on, when that thing or that person or that state of mind comes, the kind of fruit that comes as a result of waiting on the Lord, it's a beautiful thing. And so I know that you love God, but you also want to love a husband. You also want to love a wife. God may have a mate for you. He just might have a mate for you. So I encourage you to not be weary in well-doing. For in due season, you'll reap if you don't faint. He, he may have a mate for you. Or he may not have a mate for you. And this is hard in the day of the prosperity gospel where we treat God like a slot machine, where we think he's to wait on us and give us everything we ask for as if he's a genie in a bottle. Yes, he answers prayer. Yes, he invites us to come and tell him what we need and even what we want. But he's also sovereign, and he has a plan. He has a will. And there are some things that just won't make sense to us in this life, and there will be some things we don't like. And some of us may go to our grave and meet Jesus, never having the desire of being married fulfilled. You think that's tough. There are people who are going to meet Jesus not experiencing the desire of getting healed in their body. So, so we all have desires, but they don't always get fulfilled in this life. But let me let you know you're not by yourself because God has desires that don't get fulfilled either. I'm dropping a theological nugget on you right now. You have desires. Sometimes he'll meet them. Sometimes he won't. And even God has desires that didn't get met. Let's start with Jesus. 
in Matthew chapter 23 as he's going towards the cross and he's come to preach the gospel to his own people first, the Jewish people. And many of them did not receive him. Matter of fact, they rejected him as the Messiah. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, how he has extended his hands towards his people Israel. Um, he's been outstretched for them like a, a, a hen wants her chicks to come under her. But he said, you were not willing. So Jesus says, I desire for you to come to me like a hen wants her chicks to come, but you were not willing. So Jesus had a desire that his people would come, but his people did not come. And he said to them after that, he said um, that you won't see me again until you say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Desolation will strike this house because of your rejection of me. But there will come a day where because of the pain and persecution, you will look up and you will receive me as the Messiah. But until that time, Jesus' desire has been delayed with the children of Israel. God the Father has a desire. The Bible says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to the knowledge of the truth. But we know that many will perish. God doesn't want any to perish, but many will perish, which means that God has a desire that will not be completely fulfilled. As a matter of fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, the Bible says that God desires all men to be saved. Will all men be saved? No. But he still has the desire. And so some of us have a desire to get married. He will give us, some of us, the desires of our heart. Some of us, he may not give us the desires of our heart. But one thing is certain, God is sovereign, which means he knows what he's doing. He's in control. He's still compassionate, even when sometimes we think he's cruel. He's still listening, even when we think he's not listening, that God is sovereign. And we have to trust him, even when our desires are not fulfilled. Again, they're not fulfilled now. doesn't mean they won't be fulfilled later. And I know you want to get married. But I want to tell you that there is a day when you will get married. It may not happen here, but it will definitely happen there. Pastor, what are you talking about? Revelation talks about there's a marriage supper of the Lamb that will occur. Where his bride will be clothed in white, which is the righteousness of the saints, which comes from the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There's going to be a supper there because when we accept Jesus Christ, it's like we've gone into a betrothal period where we're legally married to him, but the marriage has just not been consummated yet because we haven't been with the groom yet. And so when I accepted Christ in 1984, I became a part of the bride of Christ, legally married. But when I see the groom, when I see Jesus, either when he comes back for me or I go to meet him in death, the consummation occurs to what was legally uh, 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 charged already when I trusted him by faith. So you may not wear a white gown here, but you will wear a white gown there. You may not have a marriage supper here, but you will have a marriage supper there. And when you start looking at this thing, which one is best? Which one is most important? Because you got folks who have all the stuff here. But if you don't have Jesus Christ, what does it profit a person to gain all of that and lose your soul? Somebody said, Pastor, I hear you, but I want both. I want to be married here and I want to be married there. Well, continue to delight yourself in the Lord and let him give you the desires of your heart.
No matter what, I pray that every unmarried person who desires to be married would pursue God so relentlessly that he has to interrupt your life to show you your mate. In other words, stop looking for a mate under every rock, under every tree, at every club. Uh, excuse me. Uh, stop looking for a mate everywhere you go and look for the Lord and let the Lord interrupt you with the person that he has for you. Get busy serving him. I believe that's Tempest's testimony. You were busy serving Jesus. You were focusing on Jesus, and God interrupted you with Brother Eric Merriweather. That's part of my testimony, where I said, you know what? I had a bad dating experience, and I said, I'm through with ladies. It's just going to be me and Jesus. <laughs> and not long after that, thank God, I, I saw this young lady. I'd seen her before, but I'd never seen her like this. We were in a Sunday school class, a little bit bigger than this room here. So it was hundreds of people in this class, and and it was about dating, and Darina stood up and made some comments about how men should open up doors for women and pull out seats for women, that women should demand respect from guys while they're dating. And as she was speaking, I could see doves flying all around her. There, <laughs> there was an aura of light all around her, and, and my hope was awakened again. <laughs> But he interrupted both of our lives with each other. Paul, who was a complete, content, and called single man, wished that everyone was single. We said last week that that was uh, uh, an impossible wish, as well as the fact it wasn't practical. But still, he was so excited about being single, he wished everyone was single. And Paul felt that the single life was the best life. Living my best life, Paul thought. The single life was the best life. And if you talk to a married person, the married person better say the same thing, that the married life is the best life, okay? Because wherever you are, we should be content and thankful for what we have and who we have or who we may not have because God is good. So being single for Paul was good because of the privileges it offers. So singleness has its privileges. And here are some that we looked at last week. We looked at the fact that, number one, being single is good because it's a gift from God. He gave us that gift of being single. Secondly, being single is good because of the present distress. And we talked about that last week. And then thirdly, being single is good, Paul says, because it spares you from marital trouble. So Jesus says, in this life, you will have tribulation. Uh, but he could have added, and in your marriage, you will have tribulation. So don't get married with rose-colored colored glasses on thinking that y'all are going to skip through the tulips every day and run through fields and hug each other in slow motion. It's not like that <laughs> all the time. There's trouble in marriage. And Paul said, I just want to spare y'all the trouble. Well, today, let's pick up on the final three things that Paul tells us that calls us to see that being single is a good thing. So what we're going to look at today is number four. Being single is good because the time is short. Help us, Holy Spirit. Look at verse 29 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul says, but this I say, brethren, the time 
is short. So that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. Brother Paul said the time is short. And this statement, this phrase points to the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Time is short. Jesus is coming back. And all believers from the first century to the 21st century have believed that Jesus would come in their lifetime. Starting even with the apostles, when Jesus had ascended, they thought that he was going to descend quickly and come back and establish his rule. They didn't know that we would still be waiting for the Lord to return 2,000 years after he had ascended. But every generation of believers believed that Jesus was going to return, that time was short. Every generation of believers would interpret the scriptures and see wars and rumors of war and, and, and love growing cold and pestilences all over the place as the, as the signs of the times. So when there was World War I, people thought Jesus was coming. World War II, they thought Jesus was coming. And so throughout human history, the church has not only thought Jesus was coming, but the church, the true believers, longed for Jesus to come back. And I just wonder, is this your belief today? Is this what you desire? Or are you so uh, caught up with the things of the world that you're really not looking for the one who made the world to return? And he's going to make a new world when he returns. Are, are we looking for him? Or are we so caught up in this world? Paul said the world is passing away. Literally, that means the world is dying. It's going downhill. Ever since creation, the Garden of Eden, once Adam and Eve sinned, the world has been dying. It's been passing away. It's been mourning. It's been decaying. And when we go to the Cayman Islands or we go to places in Haiti that are just beautiful to behold, that landscape, that that sunlight, that, that, that sunset we see, it's just a shell of what the world was like in its unfallen, perfect state. That, that it's, it's falling. Romans chapter 8 talks about that. As a matter of fact, it says that the, the earth is groaning to be clothed with its former glory. So when we think something is pretty today in 2019, you should have saw it in A.D. something something. Or B.C. something something. Because man, so, so the world is dying, just like we have loved ones who they whittle away. They, they, they're dying. They're passing away. And we know that death is imminent. And that's what Paul said. The world is passing. And Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11 through 12, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved. So the first time God destroyed humankind with a flood because of the wickedness of men. They didn't repent from the preaching of Noah. So God judged the world. He started over again, if you will. But the scripture says after he put that rainbow in the sky saying, I won't destroy the world like this again, but fire will be the next uh, method that God will use. And the fire will destroy the world to the point where it will be ashes. And just like God will do with bodies, he will resurrect the ashes and create something new out of it. So Paul or Peter is saying, that all these things are going to be dissolved. In other words, that nice house you have, 
that you've been working so hard to get, praise God for it. It's a blessing, but it's going to dissolve. He's not going to look at your house and be like, man, this house is different from every other house I've ever seen. I'm going to take that house to heaven. It's so nice. I was like, no, it's going to burn with everything. I got on my fresh Air Force One sneakers. They're going to dissolve and burn too. It's all going to burn because he's going to create something better than anything we could ever comprehend with our mind. Oh, my God, I want better. I want the new world, the new Jerusalem. And so Peter says, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct? So since all this stuff is going to be destroyed, Jesus is coming, it ought to affect how you live because you know he's coming back again. And so when you are spiritually minded as opposed to earthly, worldly, or carnally minded, you're anticipating his return. You're waking up with Jesus on your mind, which is why Paul said in Romans chapter 13 and even in 1 Thessalonians 5, this day when Jesus comes and returns, it shouldn't take his church by surprise because our minds are stayed on Jesus. We're thinking about it shouldn't catch us off guard because we're thinking of him. But to those who are not thinking of the Lord, for those who are lost, it's going to be like a thief in the night. And then Peter says this, he says that we're looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. We're looking for and we're hastening the day of God. Peter, what are you talking about? He's saying that we can speed up the Lord's return. How can we speed up the Lord's return? Well, it's not so much about how God is going to move. It's about how we move. When we change our movement, it brings us closer to the return of Christ. Pastor, what do you mean? You ever been at work and uh, it's boring? You don't have any work to do. And let's see, it's 3 o'clock. You get off at five, and time is moving slow. You put your head down and try to act like you're working at your desk, pick your head up 30 minutes later, and it's 3.05. And you're like, what? <laughs> but then you've had those days where you're so busy. You've got so much work that time is moving quickly. You look up and you be like, it's five already? I still have so much work to do. So what's the point? We can hasten the Lord's coming based upon how we work and how we serve. Those of us who are not serving, those of us who are just sitting around like lumps on the log, bumps on the log, it seems like the Lord is not coming. He's delaying his coming. But when you're active serving, you speed up the clock of the Lord's return. So it's about your mindset. Where are you? Do you think about Jesus returning? The more we long for and anticipate our Lord's return, the less attached we will be to this world. The less attached we will be. An unmarried person's focus should be on the next world, not this world. It should be spiritual, not physical. It should be up there, not down here. You need to look for the arrival of Jesus more than you look for the arrival of your spouse. This is why people thought Paul was crazy in the first century, because this, this is how he lived. And as I'm reading this to y'all, y'all like, that brother, done, he, he, I don't know about him. Why do you think he was so successful? His mindset was strong. Why focus so much on getting married down here when you're going to get married up there? Jesus is soon to return. Let's live like it's true. So Paul says to the singles there, I say this to you, the time is short. Stop focusing on mundane things. If God gives you a house, gives you a husband, gives you this, okay, thank him for it. But don't focus on those 
things. Jesus said three times in Revelation chapter 2, Revelation 22 rather, behold, I'm coming quickly. He said it three times, I'm coming quickly. It's like, wait a minute, Jesus. That was 2,000 years ago. John wrote that in A.D. 90. We've been waiting for you to come. Your definition of quickly is different from our definition of quickly. Well, he's delaying his return so that we can work and be busy and see more souls come into the kingdom. He's just not delaying so we can get paid. He's delaying his return so that we can keep working to see people come and be reached with the gospel and come to Jesus Christ. But God's arithmetic is different from our arithmetic anyway. We've been waiting for 2,000 years, but in God's economy, it's only been two days. Why? Because to the Lord, a 1,000 years are like what? One day. See, God sits outside of time. We're bound by time, which shows our limitation as human beings. But God, in his mind, I've only been gone two days. So uh, y'all hang on in there. I've been gone two days. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. The angel said, he's coming. Why do you stand? When Jesus ascended, they said, why do you stand just gazing up, looking into heaven? Don't you know that this same Jesus will return the same way he went up? Jesus doesn't lie, and these angels don't lie. Paul said, Maranatha, which means, oh, Lord, come. He's coming again. And if you don't get it through the scriptures, let me give you some songs. Sandy Patty sings, the sky shall unfold, preparing his entrance. The stars shall applaud him with thunders of praise. The sweet light in his eyes shall enhance those awaiting, and we shall behold him face to face. He's coming. Revelation says every eye will see him. Oh, yes, he's coming back again. And as the bride, we should be looking for the bridegroom more than we're looking for a bridegroom here or a bride here. Yes, Lord, Horatio Spafford sings, and Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound. The Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. My favorite group commission sings, can't you see the signs of the times? Don't you know that the Lord is soon to return? Robin Mark sings, Behold, he comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun at the trumpet call. Lift your voice. It's the year of jubilee. Out of Zion Hills, salvation comes. Believing that Christ's return is imminent influences how we live. We are to practice his presence in anticipation of his re return. So we get busy serving him. And if he has a mate, he'll interrupt our lives and say, here he is. Here she is. Stop looking for him or her and put your eyes on me. Look for me, not only to return, but look for me daily in your life. And since the time is short, Paul was calling Christians, single and married, in verses 29 through 31, to have a commitment to Jesus that superseded every relationship. What that means is when he says uh, those who are married to act as if you didn't have a, a spouse, He's not saying get rid of your spouse. He's just saying that Jesus gets the preeminence in your life. Don't make an idol out of your spouse. You ought to worship me. And so your focus should be so much on the Lord. Help us, Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, that's why I'm here to help you, because I bring glory to the Son. So if you submit to me and yield to me, you will see the Lord. You will see Jesus. You will worship Jesus. But if you grieve me, fight me, quench my fire, you will be out of step 
with me, and you won't see Jesus. You'll be too earthly-minded. But yield, repent, submit to me. I'll show you Jesus like you've never seen him before. And so we are encouraged to not put any earthly relationship before Jesus, even every human emotion, because he's talking about people who are weeping to act like you don't weep no more, and people who are rejoicing to act like you don't rejoice. What is he saying? Don't even let human emotions supersede the importance of the soon return of Jesus Christ. Why does Jesus deserve all of that attention from us? Because we were created for him. He was not one who we think was created for us. No, 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 no. It's in him that we live and move and have our being. We were created for his glory. And Paul is like, you need to even have Jesus supersede every worldly activity like shopping. He even talks about that when you go buy stuff. Man, man, man your love for Jesus and thinking about his soon return outweighs any and every activity, emotion, or relationship you will have, which is why we're encouraged in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, when Jesus says, if anyone's going to come after me, he's got to hate his father and mother, his wife, his son, his daughter. Otherwise, he can't be my disciple. And he's not saying to hate these people. He's saying that your love for me should be so great, so much greater than these folks. And he used the word hate to get folks' attention. I'm not telling you to hate them. I commanded you to love them. But you were to love me first. You were to love me most. And your love for me should cause those other relationships to pale in comparison. And one reason we may not have a spouse is because God can't trust us with one because we're going to worship that person more than we worship the Lord. And so God is saying, no, 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 I love you too much to, to allow an idol to come into your life. But some of us will bypass the Spirit of the Lord, do what we want to do, create a mess, and ask God to bless it and turn it into a message. And he does that. It's his grace. You think waiting on the Lord is hard. What's harder is wishing you would have waited on the Lord. There's some people who jump the gun, and they grab their choice because he was breathing. Before you had qualifications, oh, he got to be six foot three. He got to have a washboard abs, got to have curly hair, uh, uh, good teeth, and all that. You've been waiting for 20 years. Lord, as long as he's breathing. <laughs> I'm like, no, don't sell yourself short. He, he come to church, but has he come to Jesus? Is he only dating, is he only talking about Jesus so he can date you? There are wolves out here, and they dress up in church clothes. Once you get him to the altar, he ain't coming to the altar no more. You ain't got to go out like that. Wait on the Lord. I think we sang it today. Fifth, being single is good because it puts your focus on pleasing the Lord. Paul, you are messing with us. Verse 32, but I want you to be without care. Single people, I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord. Is it right there or not? How he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. So Paul is saying being single is good because it puts your focus on pleasing the Lord. Paul says, I want y'all to be without care. That means I want you to be without anxiety. I want you to not be pulled in different directions. I want you not to have divided interests. Because when you are married, 
you have anxiety. He said earlier, you're going to have trouble in marriage. When you are married, you are pulled in different directions, especially if you have children and you got more than one and they go to different schools and they got different start times and pickup times and this one does soccer and this one does swimming and this one does this. You're pulled in so many different directions and you and your wife can be like ships passing in the night and you got work and all these things. So Paul is saying that when you are married, you get pulled in a lot of different directions and you have divided interests. But when you are single, when you are not married and you don't have children especially, that you can be without anxiety. You don't have to be pulled in different directions and you don't have to have divided interests. So he's saying that there are advantages for the kingdom when you're unmarried. In Paul's mind, unmarried people can serve and please God better than married people. That's Paul. If you're unmarried, well, Paul gets excited when he would meet single people because he said, oh, you, you have more capacity to serve and please God than one who is married because unmarried people have less distractions at home. <laughs> Paul, no wonder so many people would call Paul a chauvinist. They would put him down. But I like Paul. I'm going to preach the truth whether you like it or you don't like it. Whether you call me names, whatever, I'm going to preach the truth. And I'm not preaching something that I don't live personally. I know firsthand that this works because I'm living it by the grace of God. When you're unmarried, you have less distractions at home. When you're married, you got distractions at home. A spouse is a distraction because he or she requires special care. That's what Paul said. The Lord first, spouse second, children third. Church, fam, you know, extended family, job, all that stuff is after God, spouse, children. Some of us need to repent just from that because we put our children above our spouse. The altar is now open. No, it's not. Uh, <laughs> it's out of order. So that when your kids grow up and leave, you look at your spouse and y'all don't have nothing going on because your children preoccupied the family's relationship. You better get you a date night or two or three. You better go on a vacation and stop making excuses. You better leave that child with a babysitter and stop uh, and take that kid off the breast. Man, I could say something, but I ain't going to say it. Get your kid off the breast. I ain't going to say it. I ain't going to say it. When you're married, you got to care for your spouse. Now, married people, don't use your spouse as an excuse not to do things in the kingdom. Hey, can you join us in Haiti? Well, you know, I, you know my wife, my husband, hmm, you can't ever go on a missions trip because you don't want to leave your husband or your wife. My wife is going to Rwanda later this year. Why? Because the Lord is the head of her life above me. And when the Lord said to her, I want you to go to Rwanda. I couldn't speak against that. Why? She belongs to God anyway. God can take better care of her than I ever could. So I entrust her to the hands of the Lord, just like she entrusts me to the hands of the Lord. When I got to go to places and preach the gospel and travel, she doesn't sit around worrying, well, Chris, I don't want you to go. She's trying to pack my bags and get me out the door as quick as possible. (laughs) 
Some of you can serve and please the Lord best in the unmarried state because there are spouses that don't want you to do anything for Jesus. I know some preachers who aren't preaching now because their wife is threatened by ministry. Some of it is because the preacher made the church his mistress. And they made the, the church an idol. And so the wife has been burned by ministry. Children have been burned by ministry. Again, let's keep the order straight. God first, spouse second, children third. Yourself last. Oh, boy, order Paul is calling for. Paul believes a person can do more for the kingdom when he or she is unmarried. That's the truth. Paul, can you testify? Yeah. The man who wrote 13 epistles in the New Testament was single. The man who wrote 13 epistles was single. The man who went on three missionary journeys, traveling by land and by sea, was single. The man who discipled men like Timothy, Titus, Silas, and Apollos was single. The man who empowered women like Priscilla, Phoebe, Trophina, and Trophosa was single. They had to have been black with those names. The man who performed miracles was single. The man who raised the dead was single. The man who was persecuted for his faith was single. The man who was imprisoned time and time again for the cause of Christ was single. The man who planted churches and ordained elders was single. Look how much he did. We wouldn't be here today if God didn't raise him up the way that God raised him up. We're benefiting from the fruit of his labor today. Single people, God wants other folks to benefit from the fruit of your labor for him. Stop whining about what you don't have and start blessing him for what you do have and get busy serving him and let him interrupt your life if he has that for you with someone. Attitude shift. Six and finally. Being single is good, Paul says, because it keeps you free of the leash. Uh-huh. I heard a uh-oh. Paul said in this, verse 35, and this I say, all this stuff about marriage for your own profit. Not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, that you may serve the Lord without distraction. Paul was saying, I'm not trying to put a leash on you or a restriction with my words about marriage. I know I just said some things that are countercultural, but they are biblical. Kingdom people. We are biblical. We are countercultural. We live in the world, but we're not of the world systems and philosophies. Our citizenship is from above. We're sojourners passing through. We don't focus on what is seen. We focus on what is unseen. This is what we're called to be about as children of God. And Paul is saying that my teaching may have put a restriction on you, but understand this. Marriage will put a restriction or a leash on you. Uh-huh, uh-huh. When you get married, you get fitted for a leash. But before I even break that down a little bit more, look at how Paul described marriage. Just, just, just listen to this now. In verses 3 and 4 of chapter 7, he said, when you're married, you're under authority. So if you don't want to be under authority, don't get married. Boy, we could stop and chase that one, couldn't we? Submission, that's a cuss word. Mutual submission, husbands submit to wives, wives submit to husbands. 
under authority. Then Paul says in verse 15, when you're married, you're under bondage. Under bondage. Verse 27, he says you're bound to a wife. Verse 28, he says you have trouble in the flesh when you're married. Then in verse 35, he talks about a leash. And then in verse 39, he says you're bound by law. And the only way you can get free is when your mate dies. Then he says, now you're free. You don't have the leash no more. Because <laughs> your mate is dead. You don't have a leash. What is the purpose of a leash? A leash is a tool that is used to keep dogs in order. A leash. Y'all know I love me some Lulu. <laughs> but I cannot walk Lulu without a leash because she thinks she can do something. When, when she see a dog, she, she run at the dog barking, yap, 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 but then stop right when she get to the big dog and don't do nothing. You know, so, so I can't have Lulu out without a leash because she always trying to start a fight but don't want to fight. <laughs> she like a lot of Christians that say amen in church but don't do nothing on Monday. But anyway, um, Lulu, all bark, no bite. So when I'm walking Lulu, I have a retractable leash. It can go out, it can come back, and, and sometimes she gets so out of it that she'll wrap herself around a stop sign and don't have enough sense to go back around the way she came. So the loving master that I am, I got to walk around the stop sign to free her from choking herself. But she thinks she's doing something on that leash. She thinks she's free. But when I'm tired and ready to go in, I pull that leash and say, let's go. When I'm ready to cross the street, I, I pull that leash. I say, let's go. Every dog needs a leash. <laughs> One reason God gave you a spouse was to keep you out of trouble. Because he know what kind of uh, dog you can be without a spouse. Uh, because he talks about that. If you can't control yourself. It's better to marry than to burn with passion. And, and some of us been out here without a leash too long, humping on anything and everything. And marriage has to be used as a, a something to protect us from ourselves, to be committed to one person. Now, don't let that be the only reason you get married now, but that is a reason. But my wife has a leash on me. I have a leash on her. And she's free to go wherever she wants to go, but there are times where it conflicts with the things I want. I'm free to go where I want to go, and there are times it conflicts with the things she wants, but we both have leashes. We did not get married to act like we were single. I see that. that mm. You're not single once you get married. You are accountable to somebody. And, and God said this thing, if you mistreat that person, you are now hindering your relationship with God. So as a husband, if I don't be sensitive to the needs of my wife and if I mistreat her, now my prayers are hindered with God. Because God is like, I won't be mocked. You need to go back and get that thing right with your wife. Then come back to me and we'll be cool. But until you get that thing right here, me and you are out of fellowship. Accountability. So there are times God tells me, get up off my knees and go in that room and apologize to your wife. Wow. Leash. And, and, and my, her father used to say this all the time because there are men who complain, you henpeck, man, you're henpeck. It's okay to be henpeck when you got a good hen. 
I don't mind being on a leash with Darina. I don't mind that. But single people, guess what? You don't have a leash. That means you free. You free to roam and do the things you call. Matter of fact, you don't have nobody telling you what to do with your time. <laughs> you don't have nobody telling you what to do with your money, except God in your time. You know, again, God is the husbandman, Isaiah chapter 54. But when you're single, you don't have nobody saying, When you gonna be in tonight? You're free. So Paul is like, I'm just, I don't want that leash on you. Because once you get that leash on you, it's on you till somebody dies. That's the way it's supposed to be. Now, next week, we're going to get into divorce and separation. But Paul is encouraging us today that being single was a good state to be in as a follower of Christ. <laughs> Last night, we were at this dinner called The Power Moves that Eric invited us to. And uh, for the most part, it's couples in the room. And uh, I heard Alfreda was in the house. <laughs> so I said, good, that means Clifton is here. If Alfreda's here, Clifton is here. Uh, but I was told, no, Clifton ain't here because he dropped Alfreda off and went to the movies last night. <laughs> Because he does so many banquets, he's tired of eating the chicken, and the <laughs> he dropped her off. But I bet you he did not do that without permission, because bro man is on a leash. Ain't that right, sir? Amen. Amen. Everybody, let's stand for prayer. Let's stand for prayer. Oh, man, it's good to be on a leash, but it's also good not to have one. Don't rush trying to get a leash, especially if it's held by the wrong person. Wait on God, y'all. I was going to ask all the single people to come forward, but I also know sometimes single people can be, you know, please don't single me out, you know. Um, but I hope these three messages have planted a seed to begin challenging and transforming how you think about the state that God has you in. It's a gift. There's nothing wrong with the state that you're in. Enjoy the Lord in that state. Get all that he has for you in that state. Be busy serving him, enjoying him. And if it be his will, let him interrupt you and say, I have someone for you. And if God doesn't do that, he's still good. Because your worth is not based on having someone else. Your worth is based on who has you, and his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you, my God, for the word of God. Thank you for the apostle. And he wanted everybody to be single and understand the benefits of being a single in the kingdom. Thank you, God. I pray for our unmarried folks. That, Lord, you'll encourage them and strengthen them, and especially our single parents who uh, have additional responsibilities and they're holding it down and doing a great work. Would you strengthen them and encourage them? Lord, I pray for all of us, married or single, that you would be the desire of our heart that we would desire no one in heaven or on earth more than you. And that's what the psalm writer said, that earth has no one, heaven has no one that I desire more than you. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let all these other things and people and opportunities be added unto you. Oh Lord, help us to be good stewards of what we do have while we're waiting on you for the things we don't have. 
now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. And it's according to the power that is working within us. To him be the glory, the majesty, the dominion, and the power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Hug somebody before you go.